everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Hey, Todd. Nick, how's it going? Good, man. Yeah? Doing good. Good. You feeling anxious right now? No. No. You? No, not at all. Good. But I do want to talk about... (laughs) How to handle other people's anxiety. Oh, this is a good topic. You like that heavy-handed forced segue there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how to respond for you, though. I, I could tell you were kind of setting this up, but I didn't know how to handle that pitch. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a screwball. It really was. Um, yeah. So this is a, a common thing. I think I, I hear a lot from a lot of people. And how do you deal with if you have a, you know, whatever, whether it's a coworker or a kid or a spouse or parent, someone in your life who struggles with anxiety a lot, and Mm -hmm. you are kind of around that anxiety, them when they're really anxious, um, how do you handle this? Because I think the dilemma a lot of people have is, well, I want to be, you know, a good partner, parent, coworker, whatever. I want to be supportive. I want to help this person who I care about. Um, but on the other hand, like, I think a lot of people have this experience of, a, it just gets exhausting for me to be kind of in this stew of other people's neuroses, right? And I think the other part of it is people eventually start to get frustrated because it's really, it's really difficult, I think, to be helpful when other people are struggling with anxiety. Anxiety is a very counterintuitive thing. And I think there's a lot of ways to either end up, even though you have good intentions, end up either not being helpful at all or actually being counterproductive. Um, so that's why I, to kind of frame things up, that's why I thought this is a, a pretty interesting topic to get into. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just to, um, put some descriptors on, on, on maybe what this might look like for somebody, if you're, if you're unaware, maybe of what we're talking about is, is that if someone close to you experiences anxiety there, they likely seek comfort often. Um, they want, reassurance or assurance they want um maybe decisions made for them or they want to control all of the decisions um there's a lot of worry and um kind of difficulty making decisions and following through with things um and then inside the anxiety they tend not to respond in a logical or reasonable way there's no way to talk them out Mm. of it sometimes if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense so when when people really struggle with anxiety. Those are kind of a lot of the things you see interpersonally a lot, probably. Would you add anything to that list? Yeah. So like super common one, right. Is like, I don't know, your spouse comes back from work and they start explaining how they're so anxious because, you know, they made this mistake during a presentation. Um, and they're just super worried about everyone thinks they're an idiot now and they're not going to get that promotion. And then, and then you're like, well, man, I don't know. Like everybody makes mistakes. Nobody seemed to make a big deal about it. You're probably blowing it out of proportion. Don't worry about it. (laughs) That's the response. Like logically, obviously, right. You don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we're like shocked when like, that doesn't work. They're still anxious (laughs) Uh Uh to your point of like logically reasoning through something is often not a helpful way to support or deal with people who are anxious. So, but first, like, why, like, shouldn't it? Like what, what's the deal? Like, why, do, why doesn't that help? <laughs> it's what we all like keep trying to do, but it's, for some reason it's not particularly helpful. Like what's going on there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're fear or anxiety is the motivator there and it, and it, and they're kind of kicked into fight or flight. And so the frontal lobe is not all the way receptive in those moments. 
it becomes very difficult for for people to be reasonable when they're in a state of fright. Yeah, but you know, like I don't know, they still they they you know drove home from work. There, they you know had a conversation with their stockbroker on the way back from work about how to invest. Like they're still they're still doing things. They're still using their prefrontal cortex. It's not like it's totally sure, offline, sure. right? Um, so are they just incapable of being, or if all of a sudden you said, here's this really, they're really anxious about work. You said, here's this complicated math problem, right? Like, would they just be unable to like solve it? Probably not. But their attention at that moment is hyper-focused on their catastrophic prediction outcome, um, emotional experience, whatever it is. So yeah, their attention is very, very focused on, um, their fear in that moment. So should the, should the solution then be to um, get their attention off of their fear and onto, like, is it that, is, is trying to logically reason through someone's anxiety, is it that that's a bad strategy overall or that we're just doing it wrong and that we, we need to be better at helping people get out of that fear state and then think through things logically? Um, n- no, I, I, well, we've moved to, we've moved to fixing it now. I'm not sure. Is that where we're going? Well, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? <laughs> fix other people's anxiety? I mean, I, I'm an anxiety therapist. I began just by pointing out what this might look like. You're now talking about what, how I might fix it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is a bigger, like higher level question of what, are, what are you actually trying to do when someone is anxious and, and you want to be supportive? Like what, yeah. what is the end goal here actually? Yeah. It's, well, it's I, easy to think. I, I just want them to feel less anxious. Right. Sure, sure. And as a result, you're you're pulled to to do things like take care of that person, give them that reassurance, mm-hmm. um, let them make the choices or or go ahead and make the choice yourself. Try and explain um, it logically. Yeah, try to logic with them. You get really angry and frustrated, or you may even just start feeling miserable yourself and about yourself too, because, because you're not you're being failing helpful. constantly. Mm at managing this other person's anxiety. And so it, it can be a really stressful place too. But yeah, of course, most of us are kind of pulled to take care of and, and, and help someone feel better. You don't, especially if you care about that person. Well, there, okay. So there's the nuance, right? I, I think a lot of people conflate helping someone and making them feel better. I'm not yeah. sure those two yeah. things have really have anything to do with each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, One, one's very heavy on the responsibility. Um, well, I, well, I would say responsibility for what, like, what are you actually responsible for when your spouse comes home or your kid is super anxious? Are you responsible for them not being anxious anymore? Or are you responsible for say what, like whether you sit and listen to them or whether you, I don't know what, what is your, so I don't know, like, what is our responsibility exactly? When someone we love yeah. is feeling really anxious. Well, I think that's a hard part because somebody really high in anxiety might make you feel like you are responsible mm. and, and that they need you to reassure them, take care of a situation, whatever it is. It, 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 I mean, and it's not a, it's not a manipulation. It's just a, um, they're moved for comfort and you of course are there to comfort them because you care. But, um, what you're, what you're asking is what is, what is your responsibility responsibility there? And I would say, um, in kind of very broad terms, you, you can never really be fully responsible for how, how somebody feels. Yeah. Right. Like you can, 
you, <laughs> you can't be responsible for something you can't control, right? And exactly. you, can, you can't just like turn that knob on the back of their head that says like anxiety down. <laughs> Anger. You don't have control over that, right? No. Uh, ultimately, and that sounds like stupid and obvious, but it's worth, I think, pointing out, you can only control what you do, <laughs> mm-hmm. your actions, what you say, you know, what, how you behave, that is under your control and right. is something you can be responsible for, your own behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And you can do things that maybe hopefully help them feel less anxious, but you can't be responsible for the outcome, right? Because it's right. not, you don't have control over it. Right. You can, and, so if you want to like take responsibility for something, have a set of actions that you think you are responsible for and take responsibility for those, judge yourself mm-hmm. according to those, mm-hmm. but be careful of making their feelings the metric for what supporting someone else with anxiety is. There you go. I would, I would say. And if you just rewind this uh, about a minute, you hear Dr. Wignall define what a boundary is. <laughs> Wait, okay. T- tell me, what did I do? <laughs> um, well, you just said you can't control what you do. And so a lot of thought is what you're willing and unwilling to do mm-hmm. around another person's anxiety, which is a boundary, basically. Oh. So what you're saying, I think, is, is suggesting getting very clear about what you can control and what you can't control and then kind of set those limits as you feel appropriate. Yeah. And I think yeah. this is really important because your ability to be an effective helper or support person for somebody, that's going to be really hampered if, if you're constantly feeling bad and stressed because they're not getting less anxious and you're feeling like guilty or responsible for that. And now you're getting kind of anxious about them being anxious. And like, now you're really not going to be helpful. <laughs> well, and and <laughs> right? that's often what happens is that you're, you know, the, the person um, wh- whose partner might struggle with anxiety um, you start to recognize the context and cues of things that might set them off. So you start being very hypersensitive to them as well, because mm. you're predicting when your partner might have kind of a reaction to one of these stressors. And so it makes you anxious as well sometimes because yeah. somebody says something and you're like, oh, that's exactly the intrusive thought subject for my partner's thing. And now I know they're in their head doing this thing mm. and they likely are. And so, and you, and you see it a lot all the time or, oh man, that's going to set off their OCD you know, and they're going to have to wash that 15 times now and oh crud. And they, there's just this kind of, um, there's a, there's a lot that get a lot of fallout when, when these situations go kind of unchecked like that. So high Um, level step, step zero kind of is just be clear yourself on like, what do you mean when you say, I want to be supportive of this person? What are, what are you actually responsible for? And probably, keep that to things you actually have control over, like what you mm-hmm. say and what you do, not mm-hmm. how the other person ends up feeling, right? Because that is not under your, certainly not under your immediate control. You can do things that maybe indirectly over time have some effect on how they feel indirectly, but you don't have, you don't have direct control over how they feel, right? So it's, it's unwise to bring that under your circle of supposed control. Yeah. I think there's your step zero is really recognizing, um, maybe what's happening in your relationship and where you feel responsible and, um, and, um, maybe wrongfully so, but you feel like it's your job then to kind of, um, manage their emotional reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's say someone's done that. They understand that like, I can only control what I can do, not how they end up feeling. Um, what else in terms of like practical sort of steps would you recommend somebody take in terms of someone, my kid's super anxious, like literally in the moment, like, what do I do when I'm confronted with someone who's really anxious and I want to be supportive or helpful? 
I think, I think that I want to be supportive and helpful, but to point out, I, you know, what can I do? What can I help you with? Um, and then they're oh, going to so, give you a list of things. Um, okay. And then you get to kind of choose uh, which ones make sense to you, I guess. Based on uh, what? So, so someone, someone says like, uh, just like, I, I, I don't know, like I, I need to hurry up and like decide on what like class I'm going to take in school. Like, what should I do? Like, so they want advice. They want you to tell and, them what class might, to take. I might look at my watch and say, man, I've, I've got like 20 minutes I'll give you to, to sound this out to me and, and make sense of this. And then seems like you need to make a decision. I think after the 20 minutes though, I'm not going to be um, able to talk about with, with you anymore. Okay. So you're a, not going to make a decision for them. Right. And B, you're going to put kind of limits on that. I'm like structure on. Okay. So why, why not just tell people what to do, do stuff for them, make decisions for them, like give advice, like why not? And if that worked, I'd say go ahead, but it's unlikely that when why you not? say why you does it work? Because <laughs> the we, problem we, 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 isn't well, it that will they don't work. have like, an answer. It's the their habit of perseverating and worrying. They're going to do okay, that wait, despite what you give. But if your kid is really anxious about what class they should take, and you come out and say, "Look, you should just take you know chemistry with Doctor So and So, right? Mm-hmm. Psychology with Doctor Sewell. God help you, <laughs> just take that, right? Best class you in ever the, took in the moment." they might actually feel a lot of relief. Like, oh, finally, I don't have to think about yeah. that. Like I'm yeah. going to do it, right? So there, boom. Haven't you done your job? You've made them, you've helped them feel less anxious. No, because then later when they have a hard time, it's going to be your fault and, and they should have done that. And then you've just given them another thing to worry yes. about. So usually. I think this is a really huge kind of subtle point though, is that when, pe- like, when I think about what is my, re- my responsibility or like what, how do I want to be supportive with someone when they're anxious? I think... The real, the actual problem is less the fact that they feel anxious right now as they have a unhelpful relationship with anxiety. Mm-hmm. They have a, they don't know the way they react to their own feelings of anxiety is unhelpful in making it worse. Right? right. And if you do something that contributes to their unhelpful relationship with their, their anxiety, right, that's going to be making the problem worse in the long run. So for instance, if someone, when they feel anxious, their response to that is like, oh, I got to stop feeling anxious. So I'm going to outsource this to someone else, right? What that's doing is it feels good in the short term, but what you're, they're teaching their own brain is I can't handle anxiety. So the next time they feel anxious, they're going to feel even more anxious about being anxious, right? It's going to get worse. And if you feed into that, right, if you do it for them, if you give them the answer or whatever, you're going to, it might, they might end up feeling a little bit better in the short term but you're probably going to be uncon or sort of like unintentionally making the problem worse because yeah. you're, because it's not about the anxiety in the moment as uncomfortable as that may be. The real problem is probably this person's relationship with their own anxiety. Right. So that you ensure that by telling your kid, which class to take that he's going to be, or he or she will be dependent on you to make those decisions in the future. Exactly. As well. Yeah. Yep. You are literally yeah. in the long term. you're making them your, or you're, I don't know, you're, I guess you're not making them more anxious, but you're, you're accelerating their lack of confidence and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I had a client whose partner struggled flying and they would plan these trips in the last minute, their partner would back out, you know, get really anxious, you know, on the way to the airport gotcha. or even before that and say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And, and my client was getting more and more upset as time, as time went by. And so we started looking at his options and what he could do and boundaries that he could put in. And he came up with several that were really good where he looked at, 
you know, I, he was unwilling to miss vacations anymore because of his partner's anxiety. Mm-hmm. He just got to a point where he said, we, we can't do this. And, and so he made, he, he let his uh, boundaries be clear where he said, I'll go, but I'm planning a separate trip for this to be by myself. And if you back out, I'm still going to go. Mm. I'm not going to stay behind anymore and, and cancel my trips. I'm going to go ahead and go and have a good time. So that was one boundary he put in. He also said that um, a lot of the tickets that they bought, um, he said, I won't buy them if, if you don't pay for the trip insurance, basically. Oh. So, so it was like, hey, if that happens, then that's on him. Likewise, if he did decide to stay behind, he would take that time to himself or he would put things that he really wanted to do in that time. So hmm. um, it, it, it was a way for him to kind of put boundaries in so that that anxiety wasn't kind of offloaded onto him and then cost him. Okay. So devil's advocate here, that certainly seems like you are being supportive of yourself and setting good boundaries. Mm-hmm. Is that, mm-hmm. is that helping to support the other person in their anxiety as well? I think so, because by, by putting that boundary down, what you're doing is making it very clear whose responsibility that anxiety mm. is, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think to me, one of the most, and this is a question I ask myself all the time as an anxiety therapist, like, from, you know, like when I'm working with people, like my mm-hmm. job is to help them be less anxious, basically. Right. But for me, the, the question I always ask myself in my head is, it's not about how can I help them be less anxious? It's about how can I help them be more confident? Mm-hmm. The solution to anxiety is not to be less anxious. It's to be more confident that you can be anxious and get on with life anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, like, I really believe that. Like you, the reason people get so stuck into really vicious cycles of ever increasing levels of anxiety is that they, they think they can't feel anxious. They insist that they have to do something to make the anxiety go away. Their, their threshold for, you know, their, their tolerance for anxiety diminishes over time and eventually it doesn't right. take much to get you anxious. Yeah. Which is the definition of confidence. <laughs> confidence mm-hmm. isn't the lack of anxiety. Confidence is feeling fear or anxiety and doing the thing anyway, right? Despite that feeling like, okay, I feel anxious, but I can still do it anyway. So I think that's a really helpful reframe is setting your goal not to be so much, how can I help them be less anxious? But as a way to think more long term, how can I help them build confidence? You know, so like and, with and your, and your, the best way to do that is not taking responsibility for their anxiety. Yeah. Yes, because that's where confidence comes from, which is taking mm-hmm. responsibility for your anxiety and saying, you know what, I'm I don't like feeling this way, but it's okay, and I can keep living my life, making decisions, doing whatever, despite the fact that I feel anxious. I'll manage. Yeah. The last little point I have here that I think I, I did with a lot of clients, I'd, I'd bring, you know, um, couples kind of in together. This happened a lot with, with, um, spouses, sometimes with kids. Um, but I think one of the most helpful things you can do is in a non anxious time <laughs> when, when nobody's anxious, have a conversation about how should we handle anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. So don't do it when people are anxious, but come up with a strategy. Ask, you know, if you, if your spouse tends to be really anxious, say, okay, let's think about this. When you're anxious, what actually does help yeah. when you're anxious and what Strike doesn't when, help? Yeah. Good. So what, I, I, I love that approach to strike when the iron's cold. <laughs> don't, don't do this <laughs> totally. in the heat of the battle. Yeah. It's right. It's in a, yeah, that's a very good idea. And that way too, when the iron is hot, when things are kind of intense, you have this like precedent, like, okay, we talked about this. We've got a plan. 
here's what's going to happen. Even if it's hard, mm -hmm. we've, we've, this is what we decided on and this is a good plan and we're going to yeah. kind of stick to it instead of having to like reinvent the wheel every single time someone gets anxious. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that, I think that is really, the other thing about it too, is that it, it sort of models good, healthy sort of relational functioning, right. Where it's not like, I'm the like weak, anxious one. And you're the one who has to be strong yeah, and take care yeah. of everything. It's which like, also, no. which, which happens a lot in those relationships where and it's even up, jokes like that, where it's like, yeah, I fall apart everywhere we go. And you're the one, you know, and it's like, Ooh, that's a, totally makes not it a worse, good sign. Right. Yeah, that mindset yeah. just makes it worse. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it's a good, like collaborative kind of equalizing strategy is to mm -hmm. have that conversation, that strategy session really for like, What's in the long term? What's the best way to manage situations where one of us gets really anxious? Yeah. Right. How, how do I, I? How do I support you without taking responsibility for everything there? Or, or how do I encourage you to manage this in a, in a healthier way? How do you want to manage it? And how do I? How do I help you? Remind you of that? Yeah. yeah or or what do we do that will help the anxiety in the long term? Right. Mm -hmm. Not just how do I feel better right now, but what's actually mm -hmm. going to be good for you long term when it comes to anxiety and confidence. Hey everyone, Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks. Our thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of What Would My Shrink Say? As therapists, Todd and I know how painful emotional struggles can be. From anxiety and low self-esteem to relationship conflict and self-doubt, painful patterns of thought and emotion are brutal to live with and tragic in how they sabotage our goals and aspirations. And while we hope this podcast is a helpful starting point, there's no substitute for working one-on-one -on -one with a professional therapist. BetterHelp is the easiest way to find a great therapist who's great for you. When you sign into their secure online platform, they'll assess your specific needs and match you up with a licensed professional therapist so you can get started in as quickly as 48 hours. And with a network of over 20,000 professional therapists, it's available to anyone worldwide. You can log into your account anytime to message your therapist or schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Visit betterhelp.com backslash what would my shrink say to get started right away. And as listeners of the show, you'll get 10% off your first month when you sign up using our link, betterhelp.com backslash what would my shrink say, which you can also find in the show notes. Once again, our thanks to BetterHelp for...